Well, good morning and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Jonathan Whitmer. I'm the executive pastor, and we are so glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us this, this morning. Whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in person, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can spend this time with you and look into God's word. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have started a new series called The Discipleship Journey. And it's not just a series that we're hoping to preach here in these, these next 10 weeks, but it's really the, the heartbeat of, of our staff is really we want to be true disciples of Jesus, that we want to encourage you and encourage ourselves to, to really follow after Jesus and live a life that honors him. And so we've been talking about this discipleship journey. And, and we said that in order to begin the discipleship journey, you need to become a disciple. Uh, that, that before you can be on the journey, that you need to become a disciple. You simply need to recognize your sin in need of a savior. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the most important decision that you can ever make. And so that's how you kind of become a disciple and begin this journey. And, and so part of that is putting your faith in Jesus. The other part of becoming a disciple is then going public with that declaring for everyone to know and to hear that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. And we do that through baptism. And last month we were able to, to, to celebrate baptism, celebrate Pearson going public with his faith and communicating to the world that, hey, I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I am a follower, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And, and so, so we become a disciple to kind of start the journey. And then now we're talking about growing as a disciple. We're talking about some important habits that as followers of Jesus, we need to have in our lives. And the habit that I want to talk to about today is the habit of prayer. And before we talk about prayer, we should really define what prayer is. And prayer simply is talking to God, simply communicating with God. We can talk with him audibly. We can talk with him silently. We can talk to him in private, in our room at home by ourselves. or we can talk to him in public. We can talk to him by ourselves, or we can pray and talk to him with others. Uh, and David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, reminds us that in our conversation with God, that we don't chat as peers. But he is the creator and we're the creatures. He's the great Lord and we're his happy servants. And we get to enter into a conversation with the all-powerful, amazing God of the universe. Well, last week we talked about studying the Bible that God primarily communicates to us, his followers, through his word, the Bible. And Pastor Matt said the Bible is like our backpack and everything in our backpack. It's everything we need from God to go on this discipleship journey. Well, today as we focus on prayer, we're talking about the primary way that we as followers, as disciples of Jesus, communicate our hearts, our concerns, our cares, our passions, our desires with our Heavenly Father. And so if, if the Bible is our backpack, then prayer is our cell phone. Prayer is our cell phone. And God wants us to pray continually. And, and it's hard to imagine life without cell phones, right? I remember uh, Dana was one of the first people that I knew to get a cell phone. When she was in college, her parents got her a bag phone. Do you remember those bag phones that you had in your car? Uh, because... Uh, seven hours to get to Cedarville University. And her parents wanted to have that to be able to communicate with them. And, and, and here's the thing, it was really expensive to use. I forget how much it cost per minute, but she was given strict instructions, use it only in case of emergency. Only in case of emergency. 
Well, I remember my first cell phone that I ever got. It was a Motorola Razor. Anybody have a Motorola Razor? Hell yeah. They were the coolest thing in the world. Uh, and, and I remember when I got my cell phone, I had very few minutes to use during peak hours. But here's where they got you, right? I had free nights and weekends. And so you'd save your minutes. Don't use them during those peak hours. But man, on nights and weekends, you could have at it. You could call as many people as you want. Well, today I have a, an iPhone. I have an iPhone and our cell phone plan here at church. It has unlimited minutes and unlimited data. And, and so I can, I, can, I can use it whenever I want without worrying about going over. But here's the thing about prayer. Here's the thing that's important to, to remember. God wants us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us, Paul says, pray without ceasing. We're not supposed to just turn to God only in cases of emergency, right? We're not just to turn to God on nights or weekends, but we have the opportunity, the unlimited opportunity to enter into his presence and communicate to him at all times for any reason. Billy Graham said this, true prayer is a way of life, not just for use in case of emergencies. Make it a habit, and when the need arises, you will be in practice. This morning, as we talk about prayer, I have to make uh, an honest admission. I am not an expert in prayer. It's not an area that I feel like I really excel at in my own life. And so this morning, as I'm preaching, know that if there's one person that needs to hear this sermon, it's me. And, but I have a feeling that probably I'm not the only one in the room that needs to hear this, that we can all approve in, in this discipline of prayer. And as we travel on this, this journey, this discipleship journey, as we walk with Jesus, remember, we have this privilege to have this constant connection and be in constant communication with God. And so here's the question that I think we need to ask ourselves this morning. If we have that privilege, why is it so hard to pray without ceasing? Why is it hard to, to kind of practice this posture of praying at all times? Why is it so hard? Well, there's lots of reasons why, but here's, I think, the major reason why we find it so hard to pray without ceasing. Because we need to disconnect from the world to be able to connect with the Lord. I think that's the reason why we struggle with praying without ceasing is because we have to disconnect from the things around us to really focus and connect with our God. We can be so busy, so distracted by the things of this world. And they're not always bad things. They could be good things. They could be relationships and friendships. They could, they could be our to-do list at work. They, be, they could be the list of projects at home. They could be our hobbies. They could be entertainment. They could be our kids' sports. All these things are good things, but it draws our attention away. It distracts us from really taking the time to connect with our God in prayer. And the New Testament shows us that prayer was a crucial part of Jesus' life and ministry. When we look at his life, when we look at when he was here on this earth, we see Jesus praying some 25 different times during his earthly ministry. He prayed all different times. He prayed before he performed miracles. He prayed before he made important decisions. He prayed before he went to the cross to die for our sins. He prayed on the cross. Jesus practiced this attitude and this posture of prayer. But the one thing that struck out to me most about Jesus' prayers was this. He disconnected from the world, the things around him, to pray and connect with his God. He did it in the morning. In Mark 1:35, it says, Jesus, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
He also did it in the evening. Luke 6, 12 says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus prayed anytime, Luke 5, 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus disconnected from the busyness, the distractions around him so that he could focus and connect and pray to God, his Father. So Jesus not only participated in a life of prayer, he also gave us, his followers, his disciples, a pattern to follow in our prayers. And we're gonna look at that prayer, that pattern today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna look at verses nine through 13. Matthew six, nine through 13. This is gonna be our primary text this morning. And Jesus says in verse nine, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's practice what, we, what we're preaching about this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can pause in our week, begin our week spending time with you. We're thankful for your word and the challenges that it gives us. And Lord, we pray that your word might speak to our hearts and encourage us and challenge us to be people of prayer. Father, help us to disconnect from the world and, and make it a point and a priority to connect with you on a regular basis. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would just use your word to, uh, to direct our lives this morning. Help us to live out the truth that we're talking about this morning. Help us to be people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in Matthew 6, this is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. But really, I think we should, we should name it the Disciples' Prayer. Because Jesus is giving his disciples an example or a pattern of how they should pray to their Father. And, and, it, and the example is this. We should, pray about, we should pray about God first and then our needs second. That we should focus on God's greatness and his glory and then focus on our needs and, and what we need assistance from God for. And so this, this pattern of prayer begins by focusing on the prominence of God, his kingdom purposes, and, and then transitions to our personal needs and our requests. John MacArthur said this, prayer begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. It should be concerned primarily with, with who God is, what he wants, and how he can be glorified. So we begin our prayers by worshiping God, by declaring his worth. We admire and adore him before we ask anything from him. And here in this prayer that Jesus modeled and gave to us as a pattern, he says that we should start our prayers addressing God as our Father in heaven. God is our Father. It talks about his position. And that God should be addressed personally as Father. This was a totally revolutionary concept in Jesus' day. God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament. And it's never personal. It's always talking about God as being the Father of the nation of Israel. From Genesis to Malachi, you'll not find one individual talking about God as their personal Father. In fact, the Jews were so focused on, on honoring God and talking about his sovereignty and transcendence that they would not even repeat God's covenant name, Yahweh. It was too sacred to spell or even say out loud. And so that this, this concept of talking about God as their personal father, it was not a common concept for Jews. But when Jesus came on the scene, he addressed God solely as his father. 
Throughout the four Gospels, Jesus calls his father, God his Father more than 60 times. No one in Israel's history had spoken of or prayed to God like this before. And Jesus kind of, kind of changes the way that we address God in prayer. And the word that, for Father that Jesus used, it wasn't a formal word. It was a common word in the everyday language of Aramaic, Abba. And it conveyed not only a position of authority, but really a loving and caring father. And really, the best translation is dearest father, dear dad, dear dad. There's only three people in the world that can come to me and say, dad, dad, can you help me? Dad, can you, can you help me with this? Dad, did you know this? But we as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to approach the God of the universe and call him, dear dad. Help me, dad. And we know that God is our father through faith. For those of us who've recognized our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus, we become part of his family forever. He is our father through faith. We're united to him. We're adopted into his family forever. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4. Uh, verse 4, when he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God is our Father through faith. And prayer is just coming home. It's coming into his presence we come into God's presence and we don't need to be afraid. We, we are welcome because he cares about us. He loves us. He wants to communicate with us. He wants us to be with him. It's a safe place to go. And our father is eager to hear from us. He's never too busy. It's not a burden. We're not bothering him. David Mathis says he's even more ready to hear us than we are to pray. We get to go into his presence and say, dear dad, I need you today. I need your help today. So our father talks about his position in heaven, talks about his father. Uh, when the authors of the Bible speak of heaven, they're not only speaking of a location, but they're making a statement about power and authority. And when we say Joe Biden is in the White House, we're not saying that simply Joe Biden has, is at a certain address. What we're saying is he holds the position of president of the United States and all the honor and authority that comes with it. And that's the same when we say our father is in heaven. It's not just his location. But he is the great God above all things. And so when we say God is in heaven, we're saying God's holy and righteous. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. This idea is communicated in Psalm 115.3 when it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our Father in heaven tells us that God is both caring and compassionate, but he's also capable and he's in total control capable and total control, caring and compassionate. He's all-powerful and needs no one's permission to carry out his plans, yet he loves us. And he wants us to enter into his presence. He has time for us. And what an exciting and humbling thought. We have the ear of the most powerful being in the universe. And so the question is, what are we praying for? What are we asking God for? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus points out how our prayer should begin, with a longing to be in God's presence before we petition him 
for provisions. We should adore him before we ask anything from him. But let's look at the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. They're found in verses 9 through 10, and they're all focused on God's, God, all focused Godward. It's reminding us of God's power and, and God's uh, will and his purposes, his plans. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition one is to pray, hallowed be your name. You know, today names are used as labels to identify people, right? If you had the opportunity to name your children, uh, you probably picked a name because you liked the way that it sounded. Or maybe you chose a name because it reminds you of someone significant. Maybe you named one of your children after a mother or a father uh, and someone that had a special place in your life. But in Jesus' time, the Jews picked a name because for what it meant, for what it communicated, for the character that it, it indicated. And to hallow God's name is to set it apart and treat it as holy. It's to give it reverence uh, that his perfect character deserves. And so a name is talking about his character. Psalm 27 talks about this. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So basically, hallowed be your name is basically saying, God, I pray that your name will be honored for who you are and what you've done. You're the true and sovereign God. You're the ruler of the universe. You're the creator and the redeemer. And I pray that your name is honored for that. John Anwichekwa in his book on prayer said this, to pray hallowed be your name means being more concerned with the advancement of God's reputation in the world than your own. It's praying that God himself would protect his name from being defamed and obscured so that people don't accept a wrong picture of him or reject a distorted picture of him. God's name is holy. Nothing can change that reality. We're simply asking him to do the work in the world so that his name would be treated as such. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're treating God's name with the highest honor possible. It's praying that God's name, which represents his character, will be treated as holy. And this prayer, hallowed be your name, is the exact opposite of the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. We find in Exodus 20. It's rightly recognizing his character. It's reverently honoring and glorifying and praising him in both our communication and in our conduct. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we want to honor God in our conversation and in our actions. That's petition one. Petition two is your kingdom come. Jesus' passion was for the kingdom of God was the major theme of his preaching. He mentions the kingdom of God over a hundred times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Luke 4.43, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I, sent, for I was sent for this purpose. And to pray your kingdom come is really to recognize that God is the king and to pray that his reign and rule be more evident every day in our lives and in our world. But to pray your kingdom come is also praying for Christ to return, that we can be with him face to face. We can see him face to face. It's praying for him to return and to restore and to make all things right and to reign for all eternity. But until then, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that the gospel would go forth into all the world and be fruitful. We're praying that God would take his gospel to the ends of the world, that every nation and tribe and tongue would hear it. And so your kingdom come is an evangelistic prayer. It's praying that people would hear the truth of the gospel. They'd recognize their sinfulness and they'd put their faith and trust in Jesus. That his church would grow in number and effectiveness. But it's also a discipleship prayer. 
It's praying that the followers of Jesus Christ would mature and grow in obedience and follow Jesus in all areas of our life. Your kingdom come. Petition three is your will be done. To pray your will be done on earth as in heaven is to communicate a longing to see God reign here on earth as he's currently reigning in heaven. To see his purposes and his plan advance in this sinful world that we call home. It's easy to turn on the news and be really discouraged by what we see. So when we pray, your, king, your will be done, we're praying that God, his purpose and plans would advance in this world. And until Jesus returns, it's praying that Christ would rule in our hearts and our lives and that we would submit our will to his. That's not an easy prayer, is it? To pray that we would submit our will to his. Those who are in God's kingdom follow him and do his will. They're dependent on him. They're committed to him. They're directed by him. Jesus says, true disciples do my will. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. True disciples do God's will. They know it and they follow it. And Jesus has made his will clear. His will is found in his word. He's given us his word to give us direction for our lives. He's given us his word so we know how to live holy lives and honor him. And we can't know his will if we don't know his word. We can't do his will if we don't spend time studying his word. And that's what we talked about last week. That was the habit that that we talked about, studying God's word. But God desires his will and his word to direct our lives personally and also our lives corporately as a church. So when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for strength to follow God in our personal lives, to be obedient to him, to choose him. We're praying and asking God to help us joyfully and consistently know and follow his will. But when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven corporately as a church, we're praying that Mount Calvary Church, we're praying that Pleasant Valley Bible Church in Maine, where Rocky's preaching today. We're preaching where every gospel preaching church is in, in, in existence in our world. We're praying that they would choose to follow God's plans and his purposes, that that's what they would be about. But we can't know his will if we don't know his word. We can't submit to his will if we don't know what he wants from us. But one of the greatest challenges in our life is submitting our wills to God because in our sinfulness and our selfishness, We want to be in control. I like to be in control. I like to make the choices. I like to make the decisions. And every day we're left with a choice. God, your will be done or my will be done. Your will be done or my will be done. So the first three petitions or requests in the Lord's Prayer is is really how we adore and praise God. That God's name would be honored that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done in our lives and in our church. Prayer begins by praising God and being in his presence before we ask him to really provide us anything. But part of our prayers, part of the communication with God should be asking or requesting God to meet our needs. Paul in Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
I like, I like these words here from Paul. It's kind of communicating this, this constant attitude of prayer, but it's also reminding us that we need to rejoice before we request anything from God. But at this point in the Lord's Prayer, we now kind of transition from, from you know, adoring and worshiping God to now going to God and asking him for what we really need. And these last three petitions really tell us as followers of Jesus what our true needs are. Look at verses 11 to 13 in Matthew 6. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Petition four is praying, give us today our daily bread. Jesus says we're to pray for provisions. We're to pray for our daily needs, that God would provide our daily needs. We're to pray for daily bread. We're not, pray to, we're not to pray for weekly bread. We're not to pray for biweekly bread. We're not to pray for trust fund bread. We're not to pray for inheritance bread. We're not to pray for government assistance bread. We're supposed to pray for daily bread, that God would meet our daily needs, our daily physical needs. This is an attitude of daily relying on God, that everything we have comes from him, that he's provided everything that we need. And why is, daily, why is this daily dependence so important? I mean, it's easy to kind of get into the idea and the mindset that, you know what? I work hard, and so I earn what I have. But in Proverbs 30, Agur kind of gives us an idea of why this daily importance is so important. Proverbs 38, 9, he says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Eger says to ask God to provide daily for us keeps us from denying or profaning God's name. When we have too, when we have too much, we're tempted to think that, hey, you know what? I don't need God. I got all that I need. I don't need him. When we don't have enough, we're tempted to think that God doesn't care for us. So Agur says, I will trust you, God, to give me what I need today, and I'll praise you for it. You've given me everything I need, and today I praise and trust you for it, and I'll do it tomorrow, and I'll do it the next day, and I'll do it the day after that. It's also important to realize that Jesus isn't asking us to pray for everything that we want. He's asking us to pray for our needs. Christmas is coming. If you have little kids in your house, you know that probably that the countdown to when Christmas is, they're probably started to make their lists. And they make their list of all the things that they want. Well, oftentimes as adults, we kind of treat God as the great Santa Claus in the sky, don't we? And we just go to him and just ask him for all the things that we want. And that's not bad, but we need to realize that God's not going to give us all that we want, but he promises only to give us what we need. He gives us what we need. And Jesus says we're gonna, we need to go to God in prayer for the necessities of life, all the things we need for health, for the well-being of ourselves and for our families. We pray to God to provide the simple, ordinary, day-to-day -day things of life. And this type of prayer produces that daily dependence, that daily recognition that, hey, God is always taking care of me. I can trust him. He's provided for me time and time again beyond what I deserve. This daily dependence helps us not take God for granted. It helps us not to, to think that, you know what, I have everything under control. I don't need God. Uh, it helps us to not be ungrateful. It helps us not think that we have everything we have, we earn by our grit and our hard work. But it helps us to recognize that God has been so good to me. He's given me everything I need. And sometimes he gives me more than I need. 
And when he's done that, guess what? He's given you the opportunity to help other people who have needs. That God can use you to help meet other people's needs in his name. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're making a commitment to ask God, God, help meet my daily physical needs. The next petition is forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. I grew up going to church where they said the Lord's Prayer every week. And whether it was my home church or my grandparents' church, you know, every church said it a little bit differently. And so I remember when we got to this point in the Lord's Prayer, I would be sitting there thinking, okay, are they going to say, hey, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Or are they going to say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? And, and you could tell, like, if you weren't a normal there, like, you'd kind of wait to kind of, they said it before you kind of said it after them because you weren't sure what they were going to say. You didn't want to say the wrong word. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. No matter how the church said it, this was all our big main issue in life. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Whether you're a debtor church or trespass church, the reality of the fact is, yes, we're all sinners and we need a savior. And this is what this is talking about. We all need forgiveness and pardon from sin from our God. Tim Challey is in his blog, told a story that I wanna share with you this morning because I think it illustrates this point so, so powerfully. He tells this story, he said, I followed a country trail that winds its way across the vast expanse of southern Ontario. I came to a river crossing and sat in the shade for a time to rest and catch my bearings. A man soon happened by, and after we exchanged polite greetings, told this curious tale. He explained that he owned a farm nearby and that one of his sheep and one of his pigs had recently escaped. Together they had found a weak rail on the fence and they pressed upon it until it broke under their weight. Seeing the opportunity, they quickly bolted from the field and began to explore the new, new and unfamiliar surroundings. It didn't take long for the farmer to notice that two of his animals were missing, so he set out to find them. He came across the broken-down section of fence and launched his search efforts from that area. But the animals had wandered far, and they had not left much of a trail behind. Day soon turned into night, and after resting fitfully, he resumed the search in the morning." The animals had now been gone for more than 24 hours and began to wonder what could possibly happen to them. It was the afternoon of the second day that I began to hear a distant bleeding. The sound of a sheep crying out. He listened carefully, then began to follow the sound as it led toward a nearby bog. And there it was that he found his missing sheep and his missing pig. Both had fallen into a deep ditch. Both had become coated in muck, both were unable to get out, but where the pig had been content to wallow in the mud, the sheep had known to bleat pathetically until the farmer had come to rescue it, to lift it out and to cleanse it. Then the farmer said, if you're ever deceived into sin and overtaken by weakness, don't lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate savior. Tell him in the simplest words, the story of your fall and the sorrow that you feel. Ask him to wash you at once and restore your soul. And while you're asking, believe that it's done. For if a sheep and a pig fall into a ditch, the pig wallows in it, but the sheep bleats pathetically until she's cleansed by her master. Be the sheep, my friend, and not the pig. While pigs are content to continue in their sin, sheep cry out to their master for forgiveness, to save them, to clean them. 
And while our sins have been once and for all forgiven uh, by Jesus on the cross, we daily need to go to him and confess our sins and restore our relationship with him that our sinful choices might have uh, gotten in the way of and broken. 1 John 1, 9 talks about this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John Onwichekwa says again in his book on prayer, this request is the heart of true Christianity. It reminds us that peace with God always comes through pardon and forgiveness, never performance. As often as we're to ask for bread, we need to pray for forgiveness. In doing so, we're daily reminded of at least two things, our consistent failings and God's eagerness to forgive. To miss a day of praying this way is to spend a day where I'm tempted to think that God and I are okay because my performance. That's never been the case, nor never will it be. As fallen people, we need to run to God for forgiveness. And as fallen people, we have the tendency to to recognize when other people harm and hurt us, and we don't recognize when we've harmed and hurt other people and when we need to seek forgiveness and the importance of extending forgiveness to others because God has graciously forgiven us. Uh, and so we need, to, we need to forgive because God has forgiven us. In verses 14 and 15 of, of Matthew 16, really Jesus is saying, hey, forgiven people forgive, period. No question. Because God has forgiven us of our sin, we forgive others. We're not forgiven because we forgive others, but because God has graciously forgiven us, we choose to represent him and to honor him by forgiving others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The final petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Finally, Jesus tells us to pray for protection. Pray for protection. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to ask for present provision, daily bread. It teaches us to, to, to pray for past sin, to pray pardon for past sin, and now we're to pray for protection from stumbling into sin in the future. And here's the truth. None of us are immune to sin and to temptation. It may look different to all of us. The temptations we face might be different, but we all face temptation. And James 1.13 tells us God does not tempt us. We live in a sinful world. And Satan, the father of lies, is all about deceiving us, all about tricking us, all about enticing us to rebel against God and choose to sin. And it's interesting that we're not to pray that we're never tempted, but we're to pray that we don't give in to temptation. Resisting daily temptation, it's all about being, at the part, being on that, 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 that journey of discipleship. It's all about growing and maturing in our faith. It's all about choosing to honor God with our lives. It's how we grow. It's how we uh, mature in our faith. And Jesus tells us to pray for spiritual protection. He says, pray from evil. Pray for protection from evil, the evil one from Satan. Satan is real and he's powerful. He's real and he's powerful. And I don't think oftentimes we recognize the spiritual warfare that we face on a daily basis. But 1 John 4, 4 tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is God's spirit who lives inside of all believers. He who is in the world is Satan, the God or ruler of this world. And God is all powerful and his Holy Spirit indwells us. And he gives us the strength. He gives us uh, the ability. He gives us the, the direction to say no to sin and yes to him. We don't need to be afraid of Satan because God is with us. And he can help us overcome him. We just need to pray and ask God to protect us. 
R. Kent Hughes said this about this petition. Deliver us from evil acknowledges that the victory over Satan can only come through God's power. And we're truly dependent on that for protection. We've flown through the Lord's Prayer. We could spend six weeks going through this. We could spend weeks and weeks talking about prayer. But as we close this morning, as we're on this discipleship journey, it's important that we pray continuously. Jesus was our model to follow. Jesus gave a pattern for us to follow. Uh, Our Father in heaven, dear Dad, the all-powerful yet personal God, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on this earth. And Lord, give us our provision. Give us our daily bread. Provide for us daily. Pardon us for our past sins. Protect us from future temptation. Dear Dad, help me. I need you. I depend on you. I rely on you. In your bulletins, you'll notice there's a little handout there. We wanted to give you something to take away, a little help you in your, in your time of daily praying. And, and we try to use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a guide, and it gives you four different things to do as you pray. Uh, first of all, you worship God. We talked about that this morning. You adore him. You admire him. Yeah, and so you spend some time worshiping him. You also spend some time petitioning for the things that you need. We need provision. We need protection, and we need pardon. So spend some time also confessing and seeking God's forgiveness. And finally, spend some time depending on him, relying on him, focused on on the fact that we need God to help protect us from all the temptations that we might face. My hope is that this will help you in your time of prayer. And listen, none of us have all arrived and got this all figured out. We all could improve in our, our prayer lives. But God is like our cell phone. We have the opportunity, no matter where we are or what we're doing, to enter into his presence. And the challenge is this. We need to disconnect from the world to connect with our Lord. My hope and prayer this week is that we make time to put aside the distractions and enter into his presence and say, dear dad, help me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to open up your word. We're thankful for the fact that you love us. We're thankful that we can call you our Heavenly Father. The most powerful being in the universe, you love us and you want a relationship with us, that because of Jesus and his work on the cross, that we can, uh, we can be part of your family forever. And Lord, forgive us when we don't daily spend time communicating to you. Forgive us when we only contact you in case of emergency. Forgive us when we only maybe uh, call on you on, on weekends or, or at nights. Or forgive us when we don't have this, this attitude of praying continuously and coming into your presence regularly. When we don't call out, Dad, you're amazing. Thank you for what you've done for me. Help provide for me. Father, I pray that you would make us a people of prayer. This week, I pray that you would help us, help us to spend time in communion and communication with you. Thank you that you eagerly await to hear from us. In Jesus' name, amen.